So hey, I have been um, feeling just a little bit under the weather, so if I cough and um, stuff tonight, you'll have to forgive me. But uh, we're going to do our best to get through this. This is something totally passionate, or something that I'm really, really passionate about, because it's an area that God really worked in my heart. Um, When I was sitting where you're sitting right now, God had a great impact in my life um, in this area of relationships, specifically in the area of sex. And so tonight we get to have the sex talk. So some of you guys are super excited about that. And um, I don't know what that says about you. But uh, for the rest of you, I hope that before the the night's over, you're a little bit excited about sex yourself, okay? Um, Because it's a good thing. Let's just be honest. God created. Do you realize one of the first commands in Scripture was God telling Adam and Eve to have sex? He said, multiply. That's, that's cool. God, it's not like God was surprised when Adam and Eve got together, male and female, and they're like, you know, getting together, right? And God's like, whoa, where'd that come from? No, he, he designed that. You know what I'm saying? So sex is a good thing. Now, I will say this, whenever we're talking about um, sex, relationships, all this kind of stuff, love always plays a part, right? <clears throat> love always plays a part. Some of you guys have experienced this, um, So some of you have experienced like the flash of love that comes when you're sexually active with someone, even though there didn't seem to be a whole lot of reason for that love to exist, right? Some of you guys have have experienced things like heartbreak because of the love created by sexual intimacy, especially when it was created inside of a relationship that couldn't sustain the sexual intimacy. And so we're going to talk tonight about um, the idea of love, and then, and then we're going to relate it to sex. And so, um, you know, in our English language, the word love gets used a lot, right? Like, we get a lot of mileage out of this word love, right? Like, I love my wife, but I also love tacos, right? Like, got any taco lovers in the house, you know? Um, I, I love you guys about like I love Dr. Pepper, right? And so, you know, <clears throat> we, we can love a lot of things, but If we're going to have a great talk about sex tonight, we do need to take a little bit of a deep dive into this idea of love. And so we need a proper understanding of love. And biblically, there's some key words that we're going to use tonight to describe love. That I think when we put them all together, it's going to give us some insight into what God had in mind whenever God created sex. So... Now, I mentioned this would not be the awkward sex talk tonight because how many of you guys had the awkward sex talk with your parents? Just curious, okay? How many of you guys were like, um, I was way too old. I already knew everything when my parents decided to have this talk. Yeah, got it, okay? So, because, you know, like, it's really awkward when, you know, how many of you have the awkward mom in the house, okay? How many of you have the awkward dad in the house, Okay. How many of you have the awkward grandma that tried to have the talk, sex talk with you, right? Like, it's really awkward when it gets into grandma and grandpa time, right? Like, who thought I would ever talk about sex with my grandparents? Nobody thinks that, you know? That, that's, you know, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I had a friend one time. Um, <clears throat> his girlfriend's parents had the sex talk with him. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, you win, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> that is the awkward sex talk of the century, right? Um, and the funny thing is, 
we always kind of fear the sex talk whenever we're kids, right? Because we know it's going to be awkward, right? We know it's coming. But one day, when you get married and you have sex, you're going to be the parents that now have to have the sex talk with your kids. Have you thought this far in advance, right? Are you taking notes on what your parents did right or what your parents did wrong? Because it can, it can end up totally awkward as well, right? It's, the truth is, when you're a parent... And you got to have the sex talk. It's still just as scary and awkward as when you were like 12 and your parents did it with you. So parents have this way of like coming up with words and phrases that don't really mean anything today. Like they, pro- they were probably common sayings in their day, right? But, you know, think about this. When you're a parent one day, your kids are going to have no idea what Netflix and chill means. They're not going to know, Right? So I actually asked this for my, uh, my leadership team earlier, um, I, and, and I threw this term out there, twerk naked. Yeah, see, you guys don't even know what it means, dude. That just, yeah, I'm old, I guess. I don't know, you know? So, <clears throat> but the truth is, you're going to have your little awkward sayings that you're going to use in the sex talk that your kids aren't going to understand either, either but you're going to say it anyways, right? Because you had to endure, and they got endurance. The truth is, we will say just about anything to avoid having to actually talk about our private stuff, right? You know what I'm saying? Like we, that's why it gets awkward, okay? And then I think, how many of your parents like left it to the school? Like, we'll let the school handle it. Like, I don't even know what this, like, think about how great of an idea this is. Let's let the 22-year-old who just graduated college, doesn't have kids, they're, 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 you know, excellent in like mathematics or English or history. Let's let them teach our kids about sex ed. And every junior high kid is, you know, thankful for the junior high sex ed class, right? Um, <clears throat> how about this one? How many, of you, how many of your parents tried like the video thing? Or like National Geographic. (laughs) Here, watch this video over the mating habits of wolves. You know, you'll figure it out, right? Just leave the room, you know? Now, a great sex talk is difficult to have, right? We get that. We get that it's awkward for them. It's awkward for us. It's it's a difficult thing to do. But think about why that is for a minute, okay? Think about why it is difficult to have a great sex talk. You see, culture in your junior high sex ed class would love for you to believe that sex is just physical. It's just a physical act in procreation. They would lead you to believe that having sex before you're married is normal. They would they would think it leads you to think that you should live with your boyfriend or girlfriend and take a test drive before you get married, right? You, you wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without trying them on first. And there's this whole concept that goes on with this, this, this culture saying that sex is just the thing that's normal and it's just physical and, and, and it's just the thing that college students do because it's fun and there won't be any repercussions as long as you use a condom, Right? That's why they hand them out for free all over ASU. And after all, you need to make sure you're compatible, right? Um, Okay, spoiler alert. Um, If he's male, like really male, like the genitalia match the gender distinction, okay, and she's female, you know, same thing, genitalia match the distinction, okay, you're compatible. It works, okay? Like, okay, yeah. Um, 
You're compatible for procreation and sex. You know, God designed it that way, right? But, but I have to believe that sex is way more than just physical, right? Like it's not just some whole body handshake. You know what I'm saying? Like, how, how, you know, how many of you and your boys, like, or, you know, you and your girls, like you have like this special handshake or something, right? Like, just imagine that, you know, you do some special handshake with a girl, you know, and all of a sudden you're a baby daddy, you know, like... God could have done that, you know? Like, he could have made it just some whole body handshake, right? But, but, but here's the truth. You see, like, if sex were just physical, if sex were just physical, then why don't I ever get the phone call about the black eye that some kid got in third grade? And why is it that every time I get a request to talk about something that nobody else knows about, I already know what the subject's going to be about. I already know what we're talking about. See, the talks that I get to have are about sexual abuse, sexual sin, that's causing emotional, physical, and spiritual problems decades later. Why? Because we know sex is way more than just physical, don't we? 1 Corinthians 6.18 puts it this way. Flee from sexual immorality, Paul says. Why would you say that, Paul? Well, because when you commit any other sin, that goes on outside of your body. But when you commit sexual sin, that's actually done to you in your body. Why? Because sex is way more than just physical. You see, the problem is this, like, you can practice safe sex, you can use the condom to protect yourself from STDs or pregnancy, but you can't find a condom for your heart. And what we know is that there's a heart issue that seems to be connected with sex. sex. And the truth is, the Bible's been teaching this for years. Uh, And it teaches us so much more about the reality of sex than culture ever has. And if, if we understand sex from a biblical perspective, sex can be great. It can be amazing rather than destructive in our lives. Now, I should preface tonight by saying this. Some of you guys are going to think that I've been reading your mail tonight. Um, I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm telling you everything I needed to learn when I was 18. Okay? Think about this. The worst sex education is one that almost every one of you in this room has had. Because statistics tell me this, 90% of 6th to 12th graders have viewed pornography. And about 70% of high schoolers use pornography regularly in terms of hours each week. Which tells me that almost every one of you in this room have been educated by pornographic content. And, and, you know, the cultural norm used to be, hey, you need to address the men in the room. No, today it's men and women. It's, it's an issue for, for everyone that's in this room. And here's what you won't, weren't told about pornography. See, every time you view porn, you're being educated. You're being taken to school. And you're learning three things. Every time you view porn, you're learning three things. A real body isn't good enough. Like, you guys get that, like, boobs aren't, they don't naturally hang out around your chin. Right? That's fake. Right? But when you watch porn, it's full of fake bodies. 
And you're literally training yourself to become addicted and attracted to fake bodies. You're learning this. Number two, one body isn't good enough. Number three, here's the hurtful part. My spouse's body isn't good enough. See, some of you guys would do well to redefine porn in your eyes right now. And I'll define it like this. Porn is anything you view sexually. That's pornography. Anything that you view sexually is pornography. And what I know is that once you get like sexual feelings moving in a certain direction, it's hard to slow down. It's kind of like the bowling ball. We can get it moving, but there ain't no breaks. And it takes a while to coast to a stop. And pornography is that thing that that when you're viewing things sexually, you can get the bowling ball moving in a hurry. But there are no breaks to the thing. And it takes a while to coast to a stop. I mean, think about this. Like God designed sex to be that way. The sexual attraction that you feel based on who you see naked or who you're performing sexual acts with, Those are intended for your spouse. It's called foreplay. There's there's something to be gained by taking part in those things. And it's supposed to be with your spouse. God designed it that way. And then God turns around and he says things like this. Don't covet another man's wife. Jesus took it a step further. He said, don't lust or dwell upon sexual thoughts. And it turns out that even lusting after someone who is on a screen ends up having damaging effects on us. On our current sex life, on our future sex life, on our future marriage. Um, Psychology Today magazine said this. A cursory search of the internet unearthed dozens of websites inundated with personal accounts of men who attest to the fact that excessive masturbation to online porn has seriously interfered with their ability to be sexually intimate with a partner. See, the fake sex you're looking at online will affect the real sex you will have with your real spouse. In fact, fact, pornography is actually right now the number one cost, the number one cause of erectile dysfunction. Nobody told us that in junior high. You see what I'm saying? And what I know is that for almost every single person in the room, you guys can breathe. Listen, when I say every single person in the room, you're in like company. And so, here's the lie that that we're tempted to believe, okay? You think that when you get married, and you get to have as much guilt-free sex as you want, you think that your porn problem gets taken care of, that your sexual sin problem gets taken care of. You think that what you're doing right now won't impact, won't have an impact in your future sex life. But it's not true. See, I, I, hear, I hear it from men all the time that I disciple, that they think that finding the right woman is going to cure their sexual sin. But sexual sin is not a problem that's cured by adding someone to your life. Like, think about this. If you take that route, then you're constantly going to be trying to cure your sexual sin by adding another, and then adding another, and then adding another. Why? Because what porn has taught you is that what you've got right now isn't enough. See, sexual sin is not that thing that, that is cured by adding a spouse. Sexual sin is cured by Jesus. Jesus. 
Don't pursue someone else in hopes that they'll cure your sin. Pursue Jesus and let him bring true healing and even restoration for you in that area of your sexual life. It's it's what he does. He's the God of restoration. He's the God of hope. He's the God of a future. And he can literally restore and redeem your sex life for the areas that, that, that have totally been destroyed by things like porn and sexual sin. I'll say this. It's not your spouse's responsibility to deal with your sin issue. And that includes your sexual sin issue. Take care of the sexual sin now before you find the spouse. And think about this, okay? Now, here's what we know. Um, pornography is the most addictive thing in America right now. It's, way, it's like taking over drugs, okay? They think that pornography is actually more addictive than the hardest drug that you can think of, okay? Now, that's crazy to think about. But, but even the addictive nature to, um, to pornography and to sexual sin points to the fact that, that sin is far more than physical, right? Like, we can, we can be addicted to that thing, but, but think about this. If sex is meant to be addictive, if it's meant to addict you to the person you're having sex with, then what that tells us is that God actually designed this wonderful, beautiful tool inside of a marriage that's literally meant to addict you to your spouse. That's amazing, isn't it? That when God said that he set up marriage till death do us part, like he was serious, and he actually created sex to help that process. That's phenomenal. And when you really think about it, it works like this, okay? When you do the studies, what you actually find out is that people who have been married for decades actually have the greatest sexual pleasure inside of their marriages. They're addicted to each other. They're all that they want. You understand? Like, that's how God designed this whole sex thing. So, if we could just gain a biblical view of sex, we would understand how awesome and amazing this thing is that God created when it's practiced inside of biblical standards. And so tonight, we're going to look at three words for love. And we're hoping that these words are going to help us lead, help lead us down a path of discovering great sex inside of a great marriage. For some of you, sex outside of marriage is an area you've, you've yet to allow Jesus to become Lord over. So tonight, I want to give you a picture of what could be. Tonight, I want for you to understand a little bit about not just, not just how this was created, but why this was created as well. So, let's look at our, our first Hebrew word tonight, okay? The, the first Hebrew word for love, uh, Hebrew is like the Old Testament Bible. It's what it was written in, okay? It, the Greek the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament written in Hebrew. So the first word that we're going to look at for love tonight is called raya. So raya is like this. We would call it a friendship or a soulmate. In 1 Samuel 18, we see that, that Jonathan and David became one spirit with each other, and he loved him as himself. Now, if, if we're just being honest, there are a lot of people that twist this scripture in support of homosexuality. 
And you're not allowed to do that here if you really understand the word love that's used here is raya. It's friendship. It's soulmate. This is my ride or die. This is my brother from another mother. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, that's what this kind of word is. This, is. this is the guy that I would lay down my life for because he's my brother. You understand? And that's how David and John and Jonathan uh, related and operated uh, with each other. And so one day... You're going to end up feeling this same connection with someone of the opposite sex. And it's really attractive when they feel the same way about you. And you start to think that maybe the two of you could face anything together. When this like true soulmate friendship kind of love exists. C.S. Lewis describes this kind of love like this. He says, friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would sound something like this. What? You too? I thought I was the only one that loved Dr. Pepper. Okay, I added that last part, right? But, but it's, it's when you find the person that loves what you love and, and they hate what you hate and like you just, you get along, right? Like this is a friend and it's, you know, there's, there's some common interests. They love tacos, you love tacos, right? It's a match made in heaven. You know, it's, it's when the two of you have so many common interests, it's easy to get along and you, you, you form this bond with each other, this friendship, this love friendship with each other. <clears throat> and you see, it, here's the truth. As cool as all of you guys are, if I'm taking a, a, a week's vacation to the beach, I'm taking my wife. Because she's my friend. She's my soulmate. Not even you, Nestor. I, I'm taking... <laughs> because I would rather hang out with my wife than I would any of you, right? Like, she's, she's, my, she's my, my friend. She's my soulmate. The raya that we have for each other is, is unique. And, and because she's my friend, because she's my companion, the, the raya that we share is special. It's, it's why so many people say that the best relationships start out as great friendships, Right? So there's this idea of this friendship love that, that, that we want to understand for each other. And then after you're friends for a while, you begin to feel like a deep affection for that person. And we call that ahava. Ahava is a, is a commitment or a deep affection for someone. This is when my heart aches for them. This is my mind and my heart are bent towards someone so strongly that I can hardly think of someone else. It's a ferocious love. Song of Songs 8-7 says this. Many waters cannot quench Ahava. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for Ahava, it would be utterly scorned. You can't buy this commitment. You can't. Listen, nothing can overcome this kind of Ahava love commitment. See, Ahava is where you find yourself daydreaming about them. They're easy to think about. You start having ideas of what it would be like to live with them, like in unity, forever, together. If you're female, you start writing your first name and their last name, right? 
start thinking about a wedding day. If you're a dude, you like clean your house, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Wash your car inside and out because you want to take her on a date, right? See, when you start experiencing Ahava love, you start recognizing that, that when it comes to a great relationship and a great marriage, you, you would be willing to sacrifice something for, for that person. In fact, you would be willing to sacrifice just about anything for that person because of the Ahava loving commitment that you have for them. Some of you have re- yet to recognize how much you'll actually sacrifice when you get married. Like, you know, people say you can't ever really be prepared to get married. I would say you can take some steps towards that, but there's kind of that leap, taking the leap off into the deep end that you're never quite prepared for. Because when you get married, you make promises like for better or worse. And you only think about the better, you don't think about the worse. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like rich, poor, sickness, health, all these things that we commit to, that we make promises to whenever we get married. This is, you start thinking of all the responsibility that comes from being married, and, and you're willing to make those sacrifices because of this ahava kind of love. So there's a duty and an obligation that comes from ahava. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. This is the New Living Translation. I love the way it puts this. It says this. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I realize it might be hard for you to imagine this right now, but there will come a day when even sex will cost you. Like right now, you're thinking, sex is going to be awesome. There will come a day in your marriage where sex will actually cost you something. And you'll be like, I'm not sure I want to have sex right now. And... At some point, you're going to recognize that sex costs you and you're willing to have sex out of Ahava commitment. Does that make sense? So, because just like in, in every other area of Christianity, great relationships are born when we approach that relationship based on what we can give, not what we can get. And in terms of your sexuality, I would ask you this. Have you taken a step to rein in your sex, sexual desires, so that it's not just a selfish, what can I get out of this? Because one day you're going to be married, and you don't just want to get great sex, you want to give great sex. In fact, the the best, most compatible sexual companions are those that know exactly what their, what their partner wants in bed. Why do you think the guys who have been married for decades have the best sex lives? They've been practicing for 20 years, y'all. You see what I'm saying? Like, they know what each other wants. They love sex with each other, and they're, they're fully satisfied. God created it that way. And if we approach it with biblical standards, especially based on what we can give, not just what we can get, then we recognize that sex can be, can be awesome. So, so eventually, I thought this was um, 
cool. Um, so eventually, a booty call becomes a duty call. <laughs> See, ladies, for, for your husband, duty is sexy, right? And, and think about this, okay? Though a six-pack might be sexy, being able to hold down a job for more than six months is pretty sexy too, isn't it? See, duty is sexy, right? And there's a responsibility inside of marriage and inside of a relationship where everybody carries some weight and you've got some responsibilities and you've got a duty. And you know what? Duty's sexy. I'll tell you this. When my wife is selflessly raising our babies and taking care of our kids, that's sexy, y'all. When she has a duty to be a selfless mother, it makes her more attractive. When my wife decides that she wants to go back to school and get her master's, and so she's working part-time, and, and, and now it's going to put more pressure on me to, to find the money to pay for that. And there's some pressure for me to, to now take care of some things around the house. Why? Because we're married, and, and there's, there's a duty, there's an obligation, a responsibility that I carry inside of that relationship. Can I tell you something? She thinks duty's sexy, too. Some of you guys are processing right now. You're figuring this out. See, this, this Ahava love, it's a committed love that says that I commit to you no matter what. And I'll serve you. I'll place your needs and your desires over my needs and my desires. This is the kind of love we all dream about when we think about growing old together. That's Ahava. A loving commitment. The third word we'll look at is the word dode. Proverbs 7, 18 talks like this, says, Come, let's drink deeply of dode till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with dode. This is, um, this is translated, my lover, my beloved. It comes from a root word that means to boil over. It literally means to be passionate and boil over for the one that you love. It is the idea behind this word. So, it's this passion that you can't contain for this physical affection of love. And it's something celebrated in scripture. Literally, this, this word, where'd it go? I thought we had it up there. Do we have um, Proverbs 7.18 up there? Okay. Proverbs 7.18. I want you to think about this verse for a minute. How many of you guys saw the water boy? Anybody? This verse is literally saying, you can do it. <laughs> All night long. Like, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Like, you, you guys didn't know the Bible was like rated R, did you? See, like, there's some sexy stuff in the Bible, y'all. But this is, this is literally, this is like celebrating love and sexuality and sex. And listen, this is good for a man and a wife. Enjoy each other. Enjoy, go read the Song of Songs. Song of Solomon is what it's called in some versions of your Bible. Listen, that, that book, you, a Jewish boy was not even allowed to read that book until he was 16 years old. Like God knew what he was doing when he designed this whole sex thing. It's a good thing. But here's the truth. Dode can also be used in a negative sense. Like in terms of prostitution. So the word dode is what, is what, um, the Greeks would have translated eros, which we kind of understand. It's where we get our word erotic. 
erotic love from this word, right? So dode is like sexual love. And here's the thing. Dode is to be celebrated, but dode experienced too early inside of a relationship kills the opportunity for great raya. Dode experienced too early inside of a relationship. This sexual love experienced too early inside of a relationship kills raya, which is friendship. It, it, th- think about this. If you get physical too fast, you stop communicating, which is what builds and maintains this raya friendship soulmate feeling inside of a great relationship. Like You guys know this. The second that you cross that physical line, wherever that's at for you, communication ends. And every time you get together, you're just hooking up. It kills the opportunity for great raya inside of a relationship. Side note, there's zero raya or ahava in pornography. John Eldridge He made a statement about pornography one time that I thought was phenomenal. Porn makes him feel like a man without ever requiring anything manly from him. Porn makes him feel like a man without ever requiring anything manly of him. See, it takes a man to relate to a woman, Raya. It takes a real man to relate to a real woman. And experience raya. It takes a real man to commit to a woman. Ahava. It, it takes a real man to convince a woman that he is worth falling in love with. See, these are attributes of a real man inside of a real relationship that will experience real sex. The way that God designed it to be experienced. Not the cheap substitute that porn offers. See, the cheap kind that porn offers, that's the dode that brings shame and destruction. These fleeting sexual experiences, that's the dode that creates shame and destruction. See, believe it or not, there will be a time when your parents celebrate your sex life because it makes grandbabies. Amen. But how many sexual experiences do you have to encounter that bring shame before you recognize there's something missing in the equation? And what we would say is missing in the equation is raha, raya, and ahava. With those two things, dode cannot be a beautiful, wonderful thing. Now, right after I graduated college, um, I bought a house just east of town and we used to hang out there all the time. We called it Studville. <laughs> it was like eight Kyle dudes living in this house, right? And it had a little bit of land around it. And we were always like, you know, collecting tree limbs and pallets and old couches and mattresses. Pretty much anything that would burn, it went into my backyard. Because we had this big, huge spot for a bonfire back there. And like everybody was always hanging out over at my house. And we were always making bonfires. And so... Um, We'd have these huge bonfires. Like when I say bonfire, like imagine like a pile of wood that's like 15 feet wide just stacked, like 12 feet tall. And then we would light that dude on fire. It was awesome. Um, 
And one night, so one night I couldn't find any lighter fluid around the house, okay? And so I just began to look for something that I could light the fire with. And in this random closet in my house, I found this gallon of like Coleman, like lantern fluid, okay? And, and I don't even know where it came from, right? It's probably been in there for 20 years. Who knows? But I was like, this looks flammable. Let's use this. So I take it out back, and we've got this big fire built and all these tree limbs, right? And, and I'm dumping the gas around, and like I literally pour out like almost the entire gallon, and I leave just enough in it to like leave this little trail coming back about 10 feet, you know, because when it lights, you don't want it to burn you, right? So I, I, I like bring it over, you know, and I kind of do this, and, it, and then so literally, I take my lighter, and I light it, and I start to bend down, and I'm going to put it all the way to the ground so I can light the flame, and I get about two feet from the ground, and the fumes from the white gas that was in that can caught, and literally all that I remember is being engulfed in blue flame. Like just literally all around me. And my immediate response was to do this. Okay? And and so I'm like, you know, Heisman, right? And and but this blue flame just goes and then as I'm like this, an explosion happens. And when I say an explosion happens, I'm not talking about a little firecracker kind of explosion. I'm talking everyone that was in my house ran outside of my house to see if I was alive kind of explosion. It rattled the windows in my house. The firemen that lived next door came sprinting around to see if I had died in this explosion. It was huge. It woke my neighbors up. Like, it was a boom. And literally, my only response was to do this, and it's a good thing I did, because it singed like hairs and eyebrows, okay? Like, I could smell the burning hair on my head when this thing exploded. You guys ever seen a mushroom cloud from, like, an atomic bomb? That happened in my backyard, (laughs) y'all. I am not lying. It... I did this, it went boom, and I, and I looked up like this, and it was a mushroom cloud above me. It was like the coolest thing ever, dude. It was awesome. <clears throat> it was huge. That's kind of what a dode fire is like. It can get out of hand real quick, can it? This sexual desire, this sexual love that that we've got rolling around, this thing can get out of hand in a blink of an eye if we're not careful. Now, thankfully, when this big bomb goes off in my backyard, right, all it did was send some of the hairs on my head, my eyebrows, right? I had my hoodie on, so it kind of saved me. But it didn't burn anything else around the area because we had cleared out this area for our bonfire, right? And so, the fire didn't spread past the boundaries that we had created in this area. We created kind of a perimeter that would contain the bonfire so that it didn't turn into a wildfire, right? And I was thinking about this, and it occurred to me that Raya creates the boundaries that we set to keep the dode fire a good fire. 
Think about this. Dode is boiling over. It's passionate. It wants to burn brightly. But if it doesn't stay within some boundaries, it can be extremely destructive, can it? See, if I light the fire and it burns my house down, now we got a problem, right? So inside of a marriage, it's the raya, the friendship love for your spouse that keeps the dode or your erotic love from burning outside of its boundaries. See, all of you know that Dode would love to burn wherever it pleases, but because I don't want to hurt my wife, because I raya my wife, my Dode love is contained and has boundaries. I'll make it simple. I raya my wife, therefore I don't have sex with other women. Because my wife is my friend and I don't want to hurt her. I will keep my Dode contained because of the raya that I have for my wife. And I'll say this, for your future marriage, for your future spouse, for your future sex life, you need to start creating some boundaries now so that dough doesn't burn your house down. Every one of you, think about this, every one of you will have the talk with your future spouse. And it, listen, I, when it comes to that kind of thing, I don't believe in like going into a lot of details about your prior sexual experiences and stuff like that. But, but I'll tell you something. There, you know, there, there's forgiveness from the Lord. There's restoration. There's all those things. But every time that I counsel somebody in marriage counseling, I'll tell them, tonight's the night. You set aside some time and you go home and you have the talk and you tell them everything that they need to know. The good, the bad, and the ugly all comes out tonight. And I give them some topics to talk about. Here's some things you need to be honest about. And one of them is your sexual past. Any questions they ask, you answer honestly. It can be how many. It can be who. It can be do I know any of them. And see, you got to have that openness inside of a great relationship. And though there's forgiveness and restoration, I'll just be honest, it's a really tough talk to have when you know that the greatest gift you could have given your spouse was wasted on someone who didn't deserve it because you let Dode burn outside of the boundaries. So what do we do? We put in guardrails. We put in some things that keep us from flying off the slippery slope. Okay? Now, um, I, I'm, fixing to, I'm fixing to give you a few guardrails that you can implement. These are not train tracks. Understand, I'm not telling you how to do this, but I am giving you some good ideas on how to keep Dode from burning your house down. Make sense? <clears throat> so, write these down if you're taking notes. Number one, four on the floor. Keep four on the floor. Your feet and theirs both deserve to be on the floor at all times when you're together. You keep four on the floor, you're probably going to do all right. Number two, set a curfew. Set a curfew. I get it. When it gets late at night, temptation ramps up, okay? Like there's a certain time for you or there's a certain time for your uh, boyfriend or your girlfriend where temptation starts rising up. And and listen, you got to be able to talk to your boyfriend or your girlfriend and say, listen, past 11 o'clock does not seem to be good for me. I'm really struggling 
I'm setting our curfew for 11 o'clock. You got to be able to have that conversation. Be honest with yourself. I I would say this. um, Err on the side of safety. Does that make sense? If if 11 o'clock might be the thing, set it for 1030. Make sense? We don't hang out alone together after 1030, period. No questions asked. If we're going to hang out, we're inviting some friends over. Number three, invite accountability. Some of you aren't taking notes. Y'all need to be taking notes. I ain't going to lie. Y'all need to set some of this stuff in your life. Um, Invite accountability. Invite someone to text you at the right time. In In fact, like invite them to say, hey, show me a picture. Where are you at right now? Like, go all out whenever it comes to inviting accountability. You know, have check-ins with people. Hey, listen, dude, um, we're going out tonight. We're doing this, that, or the other. You know, uh, dude, I'm going to call you, and I'm going to check in at about 10 o'clock. Okay, sounds great. And you're going to have somebody on the other end checking in with you, right? I'll say this, invite accountability. Um, Curfews don't work unless you give someone the right to hold you accountable for a curfew. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend is not the one that gets to hold you accountable for the curfew, okay? Makes it, It's 11 o'clock. Oh, please stay. No, because if I do, he's going to bloody my nose when I get home. <laughs> like, you need someone to hold you accountable. All right, number four, keep it vertical. Keep it vertical, not horizontal. Vertical. Number five, open doors. This is the one that kind of amazes me when someone is surprised that they were all alone, behind closed doors, close to each other, and then it just happened. Like, it didn't just happen. I think you planned it, yo. Like, that, that's not circumstantial. Like, you couldn't have asked for a better opportunity for temptation to take over. Right? Like, it, that's, that's kryptonite and Superman. It will take you out. Like, just be smart about where you're at and when you are where you're at. Like, open the door. Don't be hanging out on your bed alone at midnight behind closed doors. Move to the couch. The community couch. The one where there's a lot of other people around. That one. Not the one in your bedroom. <clears throat> Listen. Ahava love the commitment kind of love starts now. And, and you set boundaries, number one, because you love your Lord and Savior. Because Jesus is worth it. It's worth it to honor the Lord in absolutely every area of our life. So Ahava sets boundaries right now. And number two, because you love your future spouse. Because what you want to offer them one day is worth having. Because it wasn't burnt over and over and over again by a dode flame. <clears throat> now think about this. You, the only loving relationship where you find all three of these loves combined is marriage. Marriage is the only place where we see the combination of friendship in a, in a commitment in physical love. Marriage is the only place where 
Raya, Ahava, and Dod all come together into one. See, it, it, this, this allows for great sex. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Some of you guys think you're committed, but you don't have a ring. And you didn't say, I do, you're not committed. You're single till you're married. Because it's not until you enter into a, a covenant promise relationship with someone that you have added Ahava to your loving relationship. Ahava is, is affectionate commitment. It is a commitment that says, over my dead body, am I going to screw this up? Over my dead body, will we be separated? That's the kind of commitment that we're talking about here. And inside of that commitment, I promise you, sex gets better. This, listen, great sex occurs when all of these loves are present inside of a marriage where sex belongs. Great sex is connected to the unity, to the two becoming one, to the the mingling of souls that happens inside of a marriage. See, here's the truth. You can have commitment with no passion. That's the, that's the couple that, you know, they're married, but they won't, they won't leave each other, even though there's no friendship or desire to serve one another. Since we're having a sex talk, I promise you, they're miserable and they're not experiencing great sex inside of that relationship. You can have passionate love without friendship or commitment. You can, you can experience uh, dode in a sense without passionate love or friendship. I think that much... Th- I think that a lot of this is experienced on our college campuses today. It's a wildfire with no containment. And it's akin to prostitution. See, the the common cultural dating myth says this. If I take you out and I buy you dinner and I buy you drinks and I I buy the movie ticket and I buy all these things, then you're expected to give me sex later. That's prostitution. But that's kind of the cultural norm, isn't it? It's kind of the cultural expectation, right? It's crazy to think that we've carried dough, this thing that was created to be beautiful and awesome, into something that mimics prostitution. That's not great sex either. A selfish exchange for what you can get instead of what you can give will never produce great sex. See, what we want is something so beautiful, so powerful, something so special that it's not just a physical connection. It's not just an emotional connection. It's not just a spiritual connection, but it's all those things inside of a commitment that when they all culminate, you get like this huge bonfire of burning, passionate sex that God wants for you to have inside of your marriage. But it takes all of these loves to really produce that. See, what we do is that we kind of we kind of start now. Where's my stuff, guys? There it is. It's hiding. See, here's what we do. We start now. And we take, 
all of this wonderful wood of like friendship and we build up this thing that's just amazing and we're like this friendship is really really cool and then we start adding some ahava to it right and we're like oh this is gonna be good y'all like check this out Uh oh wait oh no we get really committed so we add some more right and we just begin listen the more committed we are the better it gets we want dough to burn bright yo so we're gonna make the commitment we're gonna man we're just all in That's not enough. Just keep going. Just soak that dude, right? Is that enough? And we build this thing. And then, and then, and then we get married. And we know that what we've been building is going to be awesome. And so we light this thing hoping that Dode Y'all think I'm crazy right now, don't you? (laughs) Some of y'all are like recording, waiting on the church to burn down. Yep. See? Some of y'all freaking out right now because you think I'm fixing to start a bonfire in the middle of a church where a bonfire don't belong. You... Because you know if I start a bonfire right now, it's going to cause a lot of destruction and a lot of damage, right? Because a bonfire don't belong on a church stage. So here's my question to you tonight. Why are you starting fires where they don't belong? You think I'm crazy for starting a fire here and what you're burning down is far more valuable. The Lord created it that way. The best fire... The best sex is always found inside of a God-honoring marriage. When all of these loves that are God-honoring, we learned them from the Lord himself. When we implement those things into our relationships, what we find is a container that can actually contain the fire that comes along with the great sex that we all hope to one day have. And if I'm being honest, this is an area in my life that I really messed up. I I didn't get saved till later in life. I didn't fully turn my life over to Jesus until um, I was almost graduated from college. I didn't let Jesus take control of my dode until I was about 25. And it cost me. And until Jesus was allowed into the area of my sex life, the truth is, I was on track to become a terrible husband and a terrible lover, a terrible follower of Jesus. I say all this just to remind you of this. 2 Corinthians says this, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You see, I get to stand up here today 
not based on how much I screwed it up before, but based on what Jesus did to bring truth and revelation and righteousness into my life. I get to stand here today and I promise you there are plenty of people in this room that could discredit me in an instant. But because of the forgiveness of Jesus, because of his resurrection, which promises us a hope for a new life and the ability to become a new creation, I get to stand here and I get to share my heart with you guys. And I get to plead with you to not make the same mistakes that I made. I was ignorant. I was dumb. And it was only because of Jesus becoming Lord of my life and me allowing Jesus into this area of my life that, that he brought restoration. And he gave me a beautiful wife and a, a very loving relationship. And if my wife were standing here, she would tell you the exact same thing. You see, we get to stand before you as people who are redeemed by a loving God. We get to stand before you as people who have a great marriage. And we are great friends. And there is great commitment between us. And there is a great sex life in our marriage. And we hope We wish so much that every single one of you could experience that same kind of thing one day. Years ago, I showed my wife and I's family tree. And if you look back for just one generation in our family trees, our families didn't get this right. My grandparents are the only ones that are still married today. And a whole lot of the brokenness that exists in my family today is because my family members didn't allow Jesus to become Lord over this area of their life. But I promise you, I promise you, if you'll do this right, I don't care what your past is, if you hand this over to Jesus, There is a promise for new life and restoration and something more beautiful than you can imagine. Something designed by God. Experienced to the fullness. Man, experienced in ways you cannot imagine. See, here's what I know. Justin, I think you and I are the only two married people in the room, right? Probably. Here's what I know. I heard a guy say this the other day, and it, it, it rocked my world. He said, um, he was talking to his kids. And um, well, I guess one of his kids had been sexually active, and they were concerned because they weren't a virgin, and they didn't have the opportunity to give the gift of their virginity to their future spouse and the one that they were going to marry. And they knew the talk was coming, and... and, and And the parents were talking the kids through this stuff. One of them was a virgin. The other one wasn't. And and, um, and the parents of the one that was a virgin turned to to, to the one who wasn't and said, you know what? As crazy as it sounds, I think you're still a virgin. 
And of course, you know, they're amazed. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that, that kind of goes against everything that I've ever heard before. Like, here's what they said. If I can put it in terms of what we're studying tonight, they said, you've never experienced sex inside of a relationship with Ahava and Raya and Dode all together. You've never had real sex. You have no idea what's in store. If I can, if I can put it like this, um, you guys remember the old Nintendo game? Mario Brothers? Some of you guys are like, I saw it on YouTube or something, right? <clears throat> See, some of you guys have been messing around with this Dode thing. And if I can equate it to such, you've been playing Mario Brothers on the original Nintendo. And God's like, I've got a PS4 version for you if you really want it. But you got to do it my way. The, the thing that you think that you have experienced up to this point is so small compared to how awesome and amazing God made sex to actually be. Some of you guys need to repent and you need to give up what you think has been a good thing for something really awesome. Let me pray for you guys.